0: Hi, and welcome to episode 11 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And we are here to tell you some true crime and paranormal stories from California this week. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) You sound thrilled, Mom. (laughs) Well,
1: I've got the true crime this week, and you have the paranormal, which also means you have the alcohol. So what are (laughs) we drinking?
0: We've already done California, and we did sparkling, which is your favorite. Right. And I wanted to do, it's pretty easy, I'll be honest with you, when it's like, oh, you have California. California? I can go find some wine. (laughs) But I wanted, uh, with it being that easy, though, I wanted to pick a wine that at least had a name that kind of had to do a little bit with my story. So I searched and I searched and I found this wine. This is a red blend, but the company seemed to have like a Cabernet. I even saw it a, a Pinot and it's called Sledgehammer. Now you'll understand what this has to do with the paranormal story and the end. I'll tell you. Obviously. Okay. So this is Sledgehammer. I got the forged red blend. It says it's made in Sonoma, California. So... I've already poured you a glass. I want you to try it and tell me what you think. Cheers, baby. Cheers.
1: It's not bad. Mm -mm. Really um, fruit forward.
0: It is. No, it is. It's really fruity. I'm not like a wine connoisseur like you are by any means, but it is. It's more fruity for a red blend. It's dry. It's
1: dry, but it's not real. um, It's light almost. It's, I mean. Not a lot of tannins. It's I don't know what that means. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's fruity.
1: Okay. But, <laughs> but it's, it's not sweet. But it's not
0: sweet, fruity. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of light. Like it's not. She took another drink, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see what she says.
1: It's not complex. Okay. Anyway. It's easy to drink.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a good table wine. Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer is Alright. the company's name. Yes very good. I'm going to enjoy this sledgehammer and you tell us a story mom a true crime story in California please. All right
1: I want to start off by saying that okay this is our 11th episode and that means I get a true crime every other week and even if I know of the crime and I've heard it Hundred times or whatever. Sure. I still don't know everything.
0: No, I love this because we get to pick our own. And I've been picking cases that, yeah, I've heard it or I've known it. But when I dive in and do the research, I'm finding out so much fun stuff. Yeah. Like different things I hadn't heard and different stories. And it's always told in a little different way. And Mm -hmm. I love it. That's what makes it fun. Yes.
1: So I I've really have learned a lot and some fun stuff and some not really, some really stuff. <laughs> gross stuff that I'd rather like the Dahmer thing would rather not. Do. Man, that Dahmer is <laughs> really sitting hard to do, <laughs> it, isn't it? <laughs> it? It is its man. It really is. Sitting heavy with you. <laughs> because we have known a lot of the crime stories that we have visited so far, I pick somebody a little bit not so known. Okay. So, listeners, you can't see this, but I'm sending my phone over to Beth so she could see a picture of this guy.
0: Okay. Hmm. I'll post some of these pictures on our social media. So, if you're listening right now, go check out our Facebook or Instagram. I'll post some pictures of him.
1: And it's not the kid in the overalls. Uh, okay. In that fourth, I think, fourth picture. The c- he was kind of cute. Yeah. Little boy. That's his nephew.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. So. <laughs> So not the cute, good-looking guy. (laughs)
1: No, it's the creepy guy. He, like, has no neck. With the bowl cut (laughs) or whatever cut that is.
0: Oh, okay. Creepy looking.
1: Okay. How long ago
0: was this? Well,
1: let me tell you about him. Okay. His name is Gordon Northcott. Still no bells ringing there, huh? Mm, I don't think so. Okay. It doesn't ring a whole lot of bells for a whole lot of people. He was a... A whole lot of bells for a whole lot of people. (laughs) Ding, how many ding, bells were in your ding, head, ding. mom? <laughs> <laughs> ding dong oh. ding dong. <laughs> uh, okay. You won't even find the town that he did these murders in anymore.
0: Oh, that's how old this is?
1: Well, they changed their name.
0: They changed the town changed the its town name because of him. Actually
1: changed the name of Winville or else is Wineville. Wineville. W i n e b i l. just call it that. I like that better. It's Wineville. You won't find that on the map anymore.
0: What is it now? Because
1: now the name has been changed to Mira Loma.
0: Okay. Interesting.
1: The murders occurred between nineteen twenty six and nineteen twenty eight. Okay. So a ways back. But still have you ever heard of town? That no. Totally changed their name. That's yeah.
0: crazy. I've never heard of that.
1: So Northcott was born in 1906 in Canada, and he moved to Los Angeles, California in 1924 with his family when he was 18. Gordon and his father, who was in the construction business, bought land, built a house, and a chicken ranch. Northcott's father was institutionalized in the Salem, where he eventually committed suicide oh gosh now that's one story i don't know whether because this dates back so far and it's a relatively kind of unknown story whether because another story says that he actually was not committed anywhere and he moved and he waited for northcott's uh, mother so and then he died an old man
0: So we'll just make it easy and say that at some point the father left. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Northcott's
1: uncle died in prison where he was serving a life sentence for murder.
0: And that is fact.
1: Um, (laughs) As far as I could (laughs) tell.
0: (laughs) It's patina-backed as
1: (laughs) Northcott did claim in several of the things that I read that he was sexually abused by his father at the age of 10. Oh, gosh. Does this contribute to what unfolds later? Hmm. Perhaps. So it, it's kind of a wacky story. That's why. OK, s- tell it, why Mom. I'm, si- I'm so anxious. That's why I'm sitting here kind of smiling because I don't know when to put the stuff in. Just say <laughs> so it.
0: Spit it out.
1: So Northcott brought his nephew, Sanford Clark, the one you saw in the picture. OK. From Canada To work on the ranch. Some uh, research said that Sanford was abducted and others say that he willingly came to help out. He was 13 when he came to California and soon discovered he had entered hell. Mm. Northcott abused the boy physically by beating him and sexually as well as, of course, emotionally. This continued for several months and then Northcott had an idea. Hey, I can use Sanford to lure young boys to the chicken farm. No. Oh. Northcott's first victim was a Hispanic teen, Alvin Gothia. He had been shot and decapitated. Oh, my gosh. Months later, on March 10th, 1928, a young Walter Collins Jr. is abducted. He was nine years old. Police believe that it was people seeking revenge on Walter's uh, father who abducted the boy. So they didn't really look too much into it. Because of the family's status, the case quickly became national news. The Los Angeles police, in turn, received negative attention and was under extreme pressure to solve the case. Mm. Now, remember, they're looking at a complete different angle. They're looking at the dad. Right. The next two victims were brothers, Lewis, 12, and Nelson, aged 10. They were the Winslow brothers, and they were abducted May 16th, 1928, and taken to the ranch where they were raped, tortured, and bludgeoned to death with an axe. Oh my gosh. So, Sanford, the young nephew, nephew. has been on the ranch now with his uncle and, oh, his grandmother. What? Northcott's mother. Does she know about that's going on? Oh, does she? Are you kidding her me? Her name is Sarah Louise Northcott.
0: Her name is Sicko.
1: So he's been on the ranch now with them for two years. During that time, his sister Jessie, back in Canada, has been receiving letters supposedly from Sanford. But they just didn't sound like him. Her son. Right. Well, this is her brother.
0: Her brother, right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think
1: she had kids. (laughs) Crap. (laughs) Are you with me? I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. So she becomes suspicious and she goes down from Canada to the chicken ranch to visit the brother. Okay. So the whole time she's there, Northcott and the mother make every possible scenario that she will not be with her brother alone. Okay. So, there's always somebody there, Ugh. but somehow that or shows an-
0: that they know what they're doing is wrong. somehow
1: or another, they do get just a few minutes here and there. Mm-hmm. And during that time, she puts together that Nixon has been raped, and that he's living with a sadist and a killer. So she
0: saves the day, hopefully.
1: Goes back to Canada in panic and goes straight to the American consulate.
0: Wow, okay.
1: She tells her brother's story to the authorities there. Then they alert the Los Angeles Police Department. Pieces start to fit together because they had just recently found a headless body of a Hispanic teenager in the ditch alongside a road. Oh my gosh. They go out to the farm. Somehow or another, Northcott and his mother find out that the police are coming. Mm. So they flee, and they go up to Canada. Oh, Canadian police eventually do arrest Gordon Northcott and his mother, Sarah Louise, September 1928, and extradite them to Los Angeles in November. So Sarah Louise confesses to killing Walter Collins, although his body has never been found. Oh, no. All right, so she confessed to killing him. She did not get the death penalty because she was a woman. So she got life in prison, which was, I think, 15 years what or something.
0: What was this? Uh, 1928. Wow, that's weird
1: because that's, w- wow. So side note here. This is what I was going to say in the beginning, but she stated The mother stated that Gordon was not actually her biological son. Oh, no. But rather the result of an incestuous reunion between Gordon's father and his sister. (laughs) What? You did not know where that was going. What? (laughs) I think this family was just like totally.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, she came up with all kinds of these stories. Gordon confessed to killing at least five boys. It's thought that the count was probably 20.
0: Oh, my God. But proof was... Even if that's true, even if this is some incestuous kid, whatever, she wants to call him, she just still supported it and stood by it and all this crap that he was doing.
1: Oh, she was part of the instigation. Yeah, the count could have been as high as 20. But proof was only of the Winslow brothers whose remains were found buried in the chicken coop mm. and the death of Alvin Gothia because his body right. was found on the side of the road. Mm. With the remains and the testimony of Sanford Northcott was sentenced to death after being found guilty of three counts of murder. Not that it would have mattered, but it also didn't help <laughs> that he fired several of his lawyers and represented himself in court.
0: What? No. All right, Ted Bundy.
1: He can no, this is different. Oh, he no. continued <laughs> this farce by putting himself on the stand
0: <laughs> Putting himself
1: on the stand <laughs> and, and asking and answering oh his own questions. <laughs> no.
0: Gosh, are you serious? <laughs> oh my gosh. We're
1: not playing with a full deck here. <laughs> he was executed by hanging on October second, nineteen thirty. He was twenty three years old when he died. Oh wow. And I actually looked it up and he was one of the youngest people ever put to death in the you know, system. Wow. In his testimony, Sanford stated that it was Sarah Louise, so his mother who said that the kidnapped little boy, Walter Collins, had to be killed because he knew too much and because the police were looking for him and they might get close, so they just had to get rid of him. Northcott wanted to use his gun, but his mother said no, that might alert the neighbors, and so she chose the blunt end of an axe to bludgeon the boy while he was sleeping. Then she forced both Northcott and Sanford to bludgeon the boy so that nobody could turn nobody, anybody in. Nobody could turn nobody in. (laughs) Nobody could turn nobody in. (laughs) They were all involved with the killing. Sick. The same thing. That poor kid, though. The same thing was with the Winslow brothers. They forced Sanford to also do that. Yeah.
0: That poor kid. Wow.
1: Now. It's a twisted story, right? Yes. It doesn't end there. Okay. So Walter Collins vanished in March of 1928. In August, a boy in Illinois pops up saying that he's Walter. Christine Collins, Walter's mother, pays for the boy to fly to California. The boy looked an awful lot like Walter, but his mother immediately saw that it wasn't him. Now remember, the police is under a lot of pressure to get this kidnapping solved. Sure, which they thought they had done because Walter, Walter appeared.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Reopening the case was not something they wanted to do, so they told her, "Just take him home and <gasps> try him out and Are see what serious? happens.
0: Try him out. <laughs> so if you like him, Christine, try him around the block a couple times.
1: <laughs> Christine did just that for three weeks." Then she returned to the Three police weeks. and said, This is not my son. I want him out of my house, and I have dental records to prove it. Wow. So I guess her son, Walter, had had several cavities and had fillings. Mm-hmm. This little boy had had no dental work done whatsoever. Oh my gosh. So the police captain, J.J. Creepy Jones. Creepy doppelganger. Do what?
0: <laughs> creepy doppelganger. Didn't you say, is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Didn't you say it looked like him, Double Doppelganger, though? yeah. Doppelganger. Doppeldanger. Doppel- <laughs> Doppelganger. Don't roll your eyes at me.
1: So the police captain, <laughs> J.J. Jones, who was in charge of the case and certainly did not want the negative publicity, decided instead to commit Christine Collins to the Los Angeles County General Hospital Psychiatric Ward.
0: Are you kidding me?
1: Under code 12 internment. That's a code to commit someone who is deemed difficult or an inconvenience. (gasps) No. So this whole situation receives a lot of attention, outside Hmm. attention. And after a week of Christine being committed, she was released from the hospital. It also helped her case that the boy admits that he is not Walter, but Arthur Hutchison Jr. He's a 12-year-old runaway who, after hearing how much he looked like Walter, decided this is a great opportunity to get a free trip to Hollywood where he wanted to go into the movies. Yeah. Oh, now remember, her son was nine, so this kid was playing off of, you know, he's 12. Captain Jones was suspended and a judge awarded yeah, that
0: whole thing is bullcrap. Oh, take my gosh. Home, take him home for a few weeks. Let us know what you think about yeah. him. He'll become your son. <laughs> Jeez the
1: judge awarded Christine more than $10,000 from Jones, which, of course, she never got. Yeah. But it was too late for Walter. He had been a victim of the North Cots. So the story of Christine Collins and her search for her son Walter is depicted in the movie, The Changeling. Hmm, okay. Have you heard that? I don't think so. It's directed by Clint Eastwood, oh. one of our favorites. Yes. And Christine is played by Angelina Jolie. Oh. So I'm maybe surprised. I have heard yeah. Of it. Oh, we'll have to. will yes. Have to watch it. Now, as far as Sanford Clark, the nephew. Oh, I feel so awful for him. Clint Eastwood, the director of The Changeling, is quoted as saying, And you wonder, how the hell did this guy go on to be a loving father and grandfather? How did he bury all that crap? That's a story in itself. Hmm. No kidding. Another idea for Mr. Eastwood? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So Sanford, the witness to all these atrocities, plus being made to do all this stuff, wasn't tried for his part in the crimes. Good. But he was sentenced to five years at the Whittier State School, later named the F.C. Nell's Youth Correction Facility. Okay. Not all the st- at the school were criminals. It was truly a place for rehabilitation and healing. Hmm. So he was there for 23 months, and then he was deported back to Canada. He served in World War II. Married for 55 years. Oh, gosh. He had two sons and worked for the Canadian Postal Service. Hmm. Clark died in 1991. There is a book written about him. It's called The Road Out of Hell Sanford Clark and the True Story of the Wineville Murders by Anthony Flaco, F L A C C O. And he tells this man's amazing story. Amazing story. The author is quoted as saying, I'm not writing a true crime book. I'm writing a psychological drama. What's here is a boy and a psyche saved. It's the road out of hell.
0: Jeez, I just can't even imagine what he witnessed and took part in by force. And then he just absolutely turned his life around. Yeah,
1: how that would have warped, warped his mind, but yet. A good man came out of this.
0: That's the end of the story, right? Like ending on a high note? That, yes. Okay, that is the <laughs> No
1: more twists. That's it. <laughs> I
0: don't want to go down the roller coaster anymore. That's a good that's No, a good that ending.
1: was a positive ending on that one.
0: Ooh, ooh, ooh. No. Sickos. Yeah. I hate his mom, if that's what you want to call her, because she's obviously the adult in all of it, and she's just...
1: Well, I mean, he was 20 years old or whatever. He's not, you know, he's not a baby. He, But it's more like he was complacent in what she was saying to do. You know, I don't know. But I, she does seem to have a heavy hand in what happened.
0: Mm. Yuck. All right, you ready for my story, Mom? I am. I'm super, super, super excited about this story. Actually, it begins in... Connecticut. <laughs> Wait,
1: like mine started in Canada, yeah, and they moved to California. Yes, yours started. With
0: I so had a, a really scared moment for a second, though. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> no like "Crap, I did the wrong one." <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, it starts in New Haven, Connecticut. Sarah Lockwood. was born and raised in New Haven, Connecticut in 1839. She was born into a life of privilege, private school education. By her teens, she spoke four languages, played the piano, and possessed dazzling charm, leading to her nickname of the Belle of New Haven. Hmm. In 1862, at the age of 23, she marries the only heir to the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, William Wirt Winchester. The two shared a beautiful life together. They had one daughter in June of 1866, and this is where things started to go downhill. Okay. The child was actually born with a terrible disease, and a disease in which it's malnourished and basically... Sarah and her husband, William, had to watch their baby girl starve Starve to death. death? Oh, Oh, that would be horrible. The baby died at five weeks old. Soon after, Sarah's father dies. And then her father-in-law dies. Oh, my goodness. And then three months after, Sarah's husband, William, dies of tuberculosis. The death of her husband. Take a drink, Mom. The death of her husband left her with the Winchester fortune of $20.5 million. Holy smokes. Today, it's over $540 million. Jeez. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Take another drink. I'm not done. She now owns 50% of the Winchester company, so she receives a daily income as well of $1,000 a day. Which today is equivalent to about... $26,000 a day what so yes she's sitting on today it would be 540 million dollars and then every day she's getting $26,000 on top of it
1: oh just give me a year of that
0: (laughs) give me another bottle of wine (laughs) so after these losses though I mean no money can cover all those losses I'm sorry but after those losses and especially after losing her husband she was absolutely devastated and at a total loss of what to do with her life and especially with this newly obtained fortune yeah spiritualism was very popular at this time and had all the answers so what do you mean by that psychic mediums crystals mm. <laughs> so sarah had a few sisters and they all really pressure her to go speak to the Boston medium. So she met with the Boston medium to reach out to her husband for advice and some kind of closure. So as legend has it, William did come through during the seance. And with a very, very frightening warning. Uh-oh. He stated that all these deaths and all of her sadness is because she's cursed by the Winchester rifles. And the spirits that have been killed by them. Oh, dear. And the spirits were going to continue to go after her and her beloved remaining family, unless she, hold on to your butts here, she needed to move out west to California and build a house for the spirits. And she is to continue building or else the spirits will claim her life or worse, her remaining family. Oh, gee! Her family was built on blood money from all the deaths of the Winchester rifle, and she needed to make right by them.
1: And then the medium said, and whatever's left over, you need to give to the Boston medium.
0: <laughs> but she does just that. She leaves. She was born and raised in New Haven, but she packed everything up, including, I think, at least one sister. I think maybe two moved she out there with her them. sister. Yep, packed them up, <laughs> and they moved out west to San Jose, California. So, their sisters didn't live with her. She she bought an eight room farmhouse, and began what I consider the world's longest home renovation, ever. That's why I bought Sledgehammer wine. <laughs> She names her new farmhouse, Yanada Villa. Construction begins in 1884, and it will continue for 38 years. Oh, my. Day and night. Every single day. Every single hour. Huh? Construction goes on and on. The construction crews worked in shifts. Work never stopped. It could not stop. Oh, my gosh. Because somebody was going to die. Yes, exactly. So now remember, this woman is so incredibly wealthy. Not a single expense was spared in any of the construction. Large gold and silver chandeliers were installed. Glorious panelings and elaborate statues were erected. Mrs. Winchester insisted the home to be built of redwood, but hated the look of the wood. So she had it stained and used a faux grain on it. Oh, then it was painted in the end of it it said that they used over 20,000 gallons of paint on just the wood alone. Oh
1: my gosh, when she could have gotten just a different kind
0: of wood. <laughs> the home had indoor plumbing, electricity, even hot running water. She decorated the home in the most elegant fashions, having Tiffany stained glass, some designed by Tiffany himself. Oh. I now Sarah was, was
1: beautiful.
0: Quite a recluse of a woman with only one known photograph of her out there. Mm. She's pictured far away in her carriage in front of the home. Even though she was a recluse, she was never alone. For a few years, her niece Daisy actually moved in with her. I don't know necessarily if she was in poor health and needed caring, but Daisy and her seemed to be very close. She had a great relationship with her, as well as with her sisters that lived nearby. But she was also surrounded by Tons of servants, maids, nurses... And construction (laughs) workers. (laughs) And construction (laughs) workers. (laughs) It is said she started each day talking to the foreman about the work for the day and ended the day by meeting with and talking with the spirits in seances, making sure she was doing right by them. Oh, my gosh. I'm really sorry. As I'm sitting here reading this, I just keep thinking... If you build it, they won't (laughs) come. (laughs) Sorry. My husband's rolling his eyes at me right now. So this building went on and on and on and never stopped. So much so that once they'd finish a room, she would literally say, Okay, paint it all red. Like the walls, the windows, the doors, everything. And then once they were done with that, she'd be like, Okay, now paint it all white. She just wanted it to stay busy all the time. The home was built up to 7 stories. It had elevators, trap doors and secret passageways. Like one kitchen cabinet door opens to like 30 different rooms. Oh my gosh. You're not a villa. Are you ready for this? It's 6 acres. 24,000 square feet. 10,000 windows, 2,000 doors. Fifty two skylights, forty seven stairways, fireplaces, thirteen bathrooms, six kitchens. Ugh. Now keep in mind, ten thousand windows. Some of them were just in the middle of a room. What? Or looking out to an empty wall. What? Same with the doors. Two thousand of them, but some just opened to walls to confuse the spirits. Oh my god. And skylights. Fifty-two. they aren't just in the sky of the roof. Not in the sky, they're in the roof. (laughs) They're in between staircases or in the floors. The whole place is a labyrinth. Staircases leading to ceilings, doors opening to walls, corners rounding to dead ends, and windows looking into other rooms. Now, it's said in the research I did that there were 160 rooms. But, in 2016... A secret attic room area was found. Oh
1: my gosh, that late.
0: So to explain this, in 1906 there was a very large earthquake that damaged a lot of the house. The seven-story home became four stories. Oh. There was a lot of damage. And during the earthquake, actually, Sarah got caught and like trapped in one of the rooms. Oh. And her servants pulled her out, and she ended up being okay, but... It said that she just sealed that place in and that's what they ended up finding in two thousand sixteen. Which is just gotta be so amazing. So in it they found a pump organ, an old Victorian couch, a dress form, and a sewing machine, as well as a few paintings. How cool would that be to just oh my find goodness. that? I can't imagine. There's gotta be more than just one hidden room. I mean, I don't know, it's just this place is huge. <sighs> So I will make mention that those boring people out there. Oh, sorry. I mean skeptics. (coughs) They claim that the house wasn't built to be the labyrinth that it is today. But because of the damage from the earthquake, she actually just sealed up all the damage. So those staircases that lead up to the ceiling, they didn't always lead up to the ceiling. That's just because she sealed up the damaged area. But that's too boring of a story. We're not going (laughs) to go it that way. The truth is that no one knows why she really did it. A medium or not, she was very private. No interviews, no diaries or journals, and no family would ever speak of it. She's just... But it's true that there was construction 24-7? All the time. Always construction. So after the earthquake, she did move out of Yanata Villa, closer to her sister, but would visit the home daily to make sure construction was still underway, and she would stay there occasionally. And on September 5th, 1922, Sarah Winchester passed away. And when word spread of her passing through the house, all construction ceased. It halted so abruptly, in fact, that on tours through the house today, they will show you protruding nails that men had stopped nailing in at word that Sarah Winchester had died. Oh my gosh, I'm just picturing this, like, boom. Stopped. 30 something years there's There's sledgehammer in the (laughs) air (laughs) there's been sound Mm -hmm. I mean and then boom quiet on her death she left the furnishings of the home not the home itself but the furnishings and paintings and everything to her niece Daisy the home sold to another family John well I have in my notes her name was maybe but I don't think her name was maybe (laughs) having another george moment here <laughs> okay so yes her name is not maybe her name is mamie mom don't laugh at her name <laughs> laughing at you. maybe it's May <laughs> M- mamie so originally they bought the house and wanted to I think they wanted to tear it down. They were kind of carnival no, folk don't and do they it. wanted to buy the land and build a roller coaster. <laughs> One <laughs> of the first random. roller coaster <laughs> parks in the area at the time. Okay. But they saw how intrigued people were with this home and so they decided to open it up to the public for tours in 1923. Harry Houdini came in 1924 i have to do a story on him anyway he was quite the interesting fella Mm -hmm. he came to actually debunk all the paranormal stories that everyone was talking about good for him he was quite the skeptic but he came to see this home and famously called it mystery house and after that it was marketed as such so yes this is the winchester mystery house in 1974, it was made a historic landmark, and over the years, as rooms started to maybe look aged, or because of all the tours, some wallpaper started to be damaged, Sarah Winchester actually had quite the stockpile of wallpaper for the <laughs> mansion. They actually still use that stockpile today. No To way. renovate and maintain the home. Oh my goodness. So... I talked a lot about the history of it, but the history itself is spooky. So, here's some paranormal activity that happens in the Winchester okay, Mystery bring House. On the ghosts. Lots of light anomalies are seen in and around the home's gardens, like lanterns being carried. There's actually some footage I saw of, like, a security footage, and it literally looks like a lantern is being walked across, like, a not a bridge, but it looks like a terrace. That and all you see is on the lantern. home, and all you just see is this lantern. Wow. On one occurrence, an investigator in the home actually had temporary blindness. Oh, which is very scary. <laughs> organ music is heard randomly. It's said that she yeah, had that arthritis, and so she used to play the organ a lot. So she had a few of them, <laughs> 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 and. You know, she's like, oh, I'm going to walk over to kitchen number four and on my way I'll (laughs) practice the organ at ballroom number six. Like, my hands are feeling a little (laughs) stiff today. So guests report tugs on their shirts or their skirts or even just nice small hand taps on their backs. Employees report hearing their name being called. Oh, interesting. And nobody being there. And when employees go and lock up rooms to lock up for the evening, they actually make sure they have extra time because they will need to go back to lock them again because the doors will have been unlocked and opened. So how many doors they have to lock when they leave? Were you not listening to the numbers before, Mom? There was 10,000 doors. I hope they're not locking all of those, though. That's my question. <laughs> I mean, I don't... I Well, not, the whole house is not open for tours. I think just her main living quarters or some of it is open. Like, And they even have... Like, around Halloween, they have, like, flashlight tours and stuff. that would be interesting. Very interesting. Her bedroom seems to have the most activity. Attached to it was the seance room, so that could maybe be why. There's a lot of footsteps, shuffling skirts, a lot of shuffling, like, feet, maybe from, like, servants or, Mm -hmm. you know, coming to and from her room. One maintenance worker reported hearing footsteps after the house was closed And he followed them to tell them, like, you know, we're closed. You have to leave. And they just kept walking from room to room. And so he just kept following the footsteps. He ended up following the footsteps all the way up to the roof. And nobody was there. Oh, my gosh. So that's a great story. There was another story I read that they were trying to fix the fireplace in one of the ballrooms. And the man was up on a ladder and he kept, like, getting tapped on his back oh and he kept like turning around and me like somebody's tapping me then he realized like oh i'm up on a ladder (laughs) How would be tapping me so he just like got down and just left it's (laughs) like i'm done another weird thing too like i read that in one of the ballrooms there's like a hidden door and you open it and then there's another door and there's another another door another door another door and her safe and when they opened the safe the only thing that was in the safe was Hairs, human hairs, and the huh? obituaries from her daughter and her husband. Oh, very odd. And like she was obsessed with the number thirteen, apparently. So she had like all the staircases up thirteen stairs, and there's, you know, the window panes are all thirteen window panes. Wow. And so much so, in her will, she had thirteen sections to her will, and she signed her will thirteen times. A little OCD. A little bit. <laughs> So, my absolute favorite story is, remember how they found that hidden room in 2016? Yeah. Well, that got them a lot of attention for their tours and everything. And I guess it's still Maybe's family. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad joke. Her name's not Maybe. John and Mamie Brown's family that still owns and runs the tours. I oh. think that's what I read. But they got a lot of attention when they found the home in 2016. So, that kind of got them thinking to open some of the unfinished rooms to the public. Oh. So the rooms that Sarah didn't even get to have finished in like the at, uh, not in the attic, other side of the house, the basement of the home. They wanted other to. Other side? <laughs> yeah, top and bottom. <laughs> uh, she wanted, they wanted to like open parts of the basement. I guess there's like two different basements, but they wanted to open some of the unfinished parts of the home for tours. And they obviously needed to make sure that the areas were clean and safe for tours. So they had employees help clean out and uh, they, there was a lot of furniture and stuff in there. And they had a contractor there to kind of oversee some construction that needed to be done. So anyway, they're cleaning and someone notices a man in white coveralls a mustache, and a wheelbarrow down there helping them in the basement. it doesn't say anything, just kind of makes a mental note. Well, soon pe- a lot of people are making mental notes on this random person that they're seeing and they start to kind of talk. You know, like, see that guy? What is he wearing? And why does he have a wheelbarrow? Who is this person? Does anybody know him? <laughs> like <laughs> He's not talking. Who is this? So they end up asking the contractor, like, who is this guy? Some days he's not there, some days he is there. And so they ask, like, who is this guy with this wheelbarrow? What is he wearing? And the contractor has no idea what they're talking about. So a few days into cleaning out the basement, they find a box with old photographs in it. Uh-oh. <laughs> and there in the photograph is the man with the mustache and white coveralls in the picture. Oh, my gosh. Was one of the original builders on the home when Sarah Winchester lived in the mansion. So the photo is actually hanging in the basement today, and they'll tell you all about it on the tours. He is still seen in the basement on occasion, as well as in the garden, pushing the wheelbarrow. And I saw in a couple of places that his name was Clyde. So if you ever go to Winchester Mystery House, say hello to Clyde for us.
1: I wonder if Clyde was actually helping, or whether he was just pushing a wheelbarrow. And that's why everyone noticed him as like, Man, Clive's paying Man, out.
0: this guy is just walking around he's with an empty <laughs> wheelbarrow.
1: I like- wonder how much he's getting paid because <laughs> he's not doing anything. <laughs> he's looking busy, but that is about it.
0: And he wasn't here yesterday, so I don't know what he's doing. So that is the story of the Winchester Mystery House. And you want to hear something really cool, Mom? What? So the Winchester Mystery House right now is actually doing a free virtual tour of the mansion oh how cool so they're only doing it until tomorrow april 7th but it's a 40 minute virtual tour of the mansion oh my gosh another thing that's really cool that they're doing because of all this yucky virus crap out there is they're discounting ticket vouchers So you can buy a voucher for twenty six dollars, which is thirteen dollars off the box office price. And you can use this voucher at any time, any day, no blackout dates, nothing. They just ask that you use it before it expires May 1st of twenty twenty one.
1: Oh, wow. So if you know that this is where you want to go, you've said it in your plans. Now is the time to get the tickets.
0: Buy a voucher, support the museums and everything else out there. It's great for the economy and everything else. But I thought that was really cool. So I definitely wanted our listeners to jump on that. And especially after listening to this story, go watch that virtual tour. Right. It's so cool. I would love to see it
1: next trip to california i'm going to go see it and there's a few
0: like paranormal investigation shows that have been there and they capture so much really neat stuff
1: and it's even so if cool. nothing paranormal like happened just the history to of it see is it it's so it, crazy you can't even wrap your mind around no, it
0: no you can't anyway thank you guys so much for joining us
1: yes and next week
0: we're going to be covering the state of Indiana.
1: Indiana. All right.
0: Indiana, Indiana. That's not the song, is it? No. (laughs) You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Killer Hangover Podcast. And thank you to all of you that have sent in your personal stories. We appreciate it. We love it. It's really adding to the stories, too, as we're doing research for upcoming stories. So keep them coming. We appreciate it. You can email us at killerhangoverpodcast@gmail.com. podcast at gmail.com. This was fun, mom. Cheers. Cheers, sweetheart. Love you, kid.